ahead and grab a seat, everybody. As, uh, as always, if you listen to these three songs, you basically know the message. And in the message, you then know what it is that God is calling you to do. Matter of fact, my suggestion to you at the end of service today is to look in your program, find these three songs, play these three songs alone before you pray or before you fast. Because that's the whole point today. Not so fast to fast. There's something that needs to be done before we do that. As the uh, ushers get ready to take up an offering, if you're here with a, as a visitor today, nobody invited you here to get your money. Glad that you're here. If you want to give, totally on you, but you are welcome here as sunshine. Our prayer is that you receive something today. And as the worship team does this song, you know, Be Still My Soul, a hymn, an old hymn. You know, before we pray, before we fast, before we ask, this song culminates and pulls together everything that the worship set has talked about. So listen to the words, worship to the words, and you'll be prepared to hear from the Lord today. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend. Through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All
exactly this be still and know that I am God and probably one of the biggest difficulties maybe just me personally but we have as Americans is to be still you know to be still to be slow to be quiet to be alone with you because we just are bombarded whether it's in the car or at home or at a sporting event we're just bombarded and I think that sometimes it's just so uncomfortable to be still but that causes us to miss you. It causes us not to hear from you. That's why the song first says, first, before I seek you, first, before I speak a word, I will seek you with my heart. And so today, we help us slow down. Will you speak something maybe firmly to us today and at the same time with the spirit of encouragement, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, everybody. Here's uh, intern Nick. He's got a high five for you. As a matter of fact, Garrett, you can put that high five up there because it doesn't have the answer. So go ahead and just put the graphic up there as he asks the question. Good morning, everyone. Oh, is this on? Am I on? No? How are we doing? I can yell. Are we doing good? Good. Awesome. Okay. Oh, there I am. Thank you. Um, so uh, t- right now we're going to do our high five question. If you don't know what high five is, it's when I give you guys a question, you get up, go find five different people and see if, they'll know, if, see if they know the answer to this question. And this morning's question is, how fast do turtles walk? So the question is, how fast do turtles walk? So get up, go find five different people and see if they know the answer to that.
excited when I see megaphones. <laughs> All right, everyone, come grab a seat. Come grab a seat. Yeah, I know. It's okay. They need to slow down. Be still. All right, everyone, come grab a seat. Grab a seat. Does anybody have any guesses for the answer? Slow. <laughs> Slow. One third One mile an hour. One third mile an hour. One third mile an hour. Okay, all sort of close. It's actually the, uh, three to four miles an hour, which is not so fast. Matthew, did you get it? <laughs> get it? You Googled it. You got it. it. <laughs> then you're smart. Two to three miles an hour. Close Honestly, enough, enough. when he sent me that, I didn't believe him, so I checked it out myself. I got a question. How do you know it's walking? Maybe it's running two to three miles an hour. So. You never know. Nick, Nick, get off. Get, get off stage, Nick. Get off stage. Well, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever purchased something, and two to three to four to five days later, whatever it was, you found it wasn't working right, there was something broken on it, you decided you wanted to take it back, and whatever it was, something from a store, maybe it was a car. You bought a used car, right? And you bought a used car, you got home, and just the, whatever it was, you brought it home, and it just wasn't working. All of a sudden, it won't start. She has, uh, she has hearing aids. Uh, it, it won't start. So what do you do when you bring a car home and it won't start? You take it back, and you take it back to the salesman. And the salesman says, can you read this right here to me? As is. And you say, yeah, when I bought it, it was running. It was as is. It is not as is now. I got it, yeah, yeah. And so what you do, basically, is you say, well, I'm going to appeal to a higher power. Where's your boss? You ever do that in a car dealership, in a, in a retail store, whatever? Who's your boss? Who's the used car salesman? You know, I want to talk to somebody above you. And that's kind of how it is what I want to talk to you about today. Appealing not yeah, to a higher power, but appealing to something as our Hearts are weighed down, appealing to something that is given to us as a gift. It's called fasting. It's something that goes above, and we talk about this almost every year, something above just praying. When our concerns and our burdens are so big that they weigh us down and we don't know what to do, that's the time to fast. You know, when we have an ongoing sin, that besetting sin, they just can't seem... That's the time when we fast. You know, when we have a, a wayward child or a disappointment or emotional pain or a worry or a doubt or a fear or a personal attack that's coming from work or wherever, that is the time that triggers us to do more than just pray. Yeah, we're appealing to the same higher power, our God, Jesus Christ, 
but just in a different way all throughout the Scriptures. But before you fast, as I uh, ask you to turn to Isaiah 58, you have it. Matter of fact, I wanted you to have this so you have it all in your notes, and this is the NIV version, so you might have a different version. Uh, I wanted you to know as I read this and as I studied this, before you fast, maybe you've been fasting something and thinking, why, isn't I, why am I not hearing from God? This might possibly be the answer. It may be not the Lord's will, but here's something else to consider. Because in your notes, I have before you go any further, right? You got a set of uh, yellow notes there. If you have the Bible app on your phone, go to the Bible app, go to events, live events, and it will come up as Ann Shea is doing right now. See, you know, we need to go further sometimes than just praying because fasting helps me get another glimpse of something. Because while I am resisting something, whether it's food or media or Twitter or Facebook, whatever it is, God has an opportunity for me as I'm spending more time with him to tell me something. And today, I want you to know this is a prerequisite to fasting. You probably know this, but maybe if not, we'll just remind ourselves today in your notes, I have the definition. You know, a prerequisite is a thing that is required as a prior condition for something else to happen or to exist. And there is a prior condition that has to exist before we pray and fast. It was sung all through the worship set today. I have a little example down here. Would you send your child to an elementary school who in their packet said, quote, belief in evolution is a prerequisite for passing our science class? That's a question. Yeah, everybody has their opinion on this, that, the other. As Christians, you know, where do we go with that? It's a prerequisite. You've got to make a decision. I want to talk to you today about prerequisites to fasting. We are going to practice fasting. We practice it as a church. I'm in Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 14. Let me open with number one in your notes. Fill it in. The, the fill-in is rebellion revealed. Rebellion revealed. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion, to the descendants of Jacob their sins. Now, if you read the scripture, there's a lot of different things that talk about shout. Shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord. This passage of scripture says, shout to the Lord your sins, your rebellion. Shout it loud. Now, how, who wants to stand up? Tell me your rebellion, your sin, and I will shout it on the megaphone. Okay, that, that, that's not so funny. That's what this passage says. You know why? Lots of times we just gloss over our personal sin, our rebellion. We become Christians and walk a long time with the Lord or a short time, whatever it is, don't realize we're walking in rebellion and sin unless this is a practice of yours. And I tell you what, Isaiah, we just studied Isaiah 6. He saw his own sin. Isaiah 6, he saw his own sin, confessed that he was a man of unclean lips. Isaiah knows what he's talking about to you and me today. Verse 2, he says, For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. If I was to ask you what are the two biggest commands that encompass all of the commands, you would tell me, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you would tell me, love your neighbor as you love yourself. These are the commands. And you'll see him break both of these down in this passage of Scripture. They ask me for just decisions. You ever been treated unfairly and say, where's God in all of this? And they seem eager for God to come near to them. 
Folks, there's nothing worse in God's sight than a half-hearted seeker. The Bible calls it lukewarm. I wish you were cold. I wish you were hot. What happens to lukewarm? Lukewarm people are spit out of his mouth. I didn't write it. That's what the passage says. Look at these phraseologies. They're fasting. They're getting ready. We'll see this. They seem, right? They seem eager to know my ways. Oh, I love Jesus. I this, that, the other. But their hearts are from me. As if they were a people who does what is right. Righteousness. Doing what is right when the life gets difficult. Blessed is the man who does what is right even when it costs him. Book of Proverbs teaches us doing what's right. They seem eager for God to come near to them. And what is this called? This is called rebellion and sin. People who seem to, people who are half-hearted. Don't pray and fast and ask God for anything, Evan, if you haven't sat alone with Jesus and asked him to show you, is there any rebellion in your life, Evan? Is there any sin? Is there an attitude? Don't even approach this, right? The song first. First seek his face. Don't jump right into it. We can't see ourselves as God sees us until we get alone and quiet with him. If you are fasting, if you are praying, if you are seeking, and maybe it's according to God's will or maybe it's not, but if that's not the issue, is it possible that something is keeping you seem eager? And today maybe will be the time that uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And you'll begin a practice that you should always have in your Christian life. And that is, Lord, search me. Know me. Is there any rebellion in my heart? Get it out of the way, because you'll see the results here in just a minute. Have we become lukewarm Christians? Because the Bible is very clear. What happened to the Jews? The chosen people, the ones trusted with the Bible, yeah, they became lukewarm. The commands of God, they just kind of figured they were in. Don't think, well, I was saved so many years ago, I'm safe. Nowhere in the scripture does it teach that. Before we pray, before we fast, there is a prerequisite. It is for us to sit alone with God and say, Lord, is there any rebellion, any sin in my heart? Number two, after rebellion was revealed, this is rebellion exposed. Notice I just keep putting the word rebellion in there. I normally would change the other word, but... I think as I look at this, Isaiah knows what he's talking about. He says in verse 3, why have we fasted? He's speaking on behalf of the, as if the people were speaking. Why have we fasted, they say, and you, God, have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? You know, two questions. Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. They're fasting. They're practicing. I mean, the two greatest commandments, love your neighbor as yourself, love God, you know, love God. And here they are just treating each other terribly. They're treating each other. They're, they're being dishonest to their workers. They're, being dis, uh, you know, they're striking each other with wicked fists. They, they, he says, you, you're acting this way. You're not my people. You're not being an example or witness of my people. And you're asking me for some things. He's like, you think that that's what kind of fast I hear? And it's not. God sees how we treat each other. Yeah, there's probably two big commands in, in, that came from Jesus and the first one I've already mentioned, love your neighbor 
as you love yourself. Treat your neighbor as you would want to be treated. Maybe they won't, but here's the other one. You think, well, that, but, but if somebody's mistreating me, how would I treat my enemy? And Jesus addresses that because his heavenly father lets it rain as it is today on every righteous person, every unrighteous person, every wonderful God-fearing farmer and every farmer that never sets a foot in church, never gives a dime to him, never cares about him. The only time his name is ever on their lips is as if it's a swear word. And you say, so what do you want me to do? And Jesus said, if you want to be known as your father's children, pray for your enemies. Do good to your enemies. And so as I can tend to do and find that one excuse that is outside of the box that gives me the right to treat somebody the way I read this and it's like heaven. Self-centeredness is, is, is in this wording here. Cheaters fighting among each other. You know, We want our way. This is what God calls rebellion and sin and it quiets your voice. It mutes your voice in God's ear. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard. You know, yes, pray. Yes, we, we fast. God calls us to this, but there's a prerequisite, and it has to do with how we treat our neighbors and how we treat our enemies. Number three is rebellion corrected. Rebellion corrected, verse five. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only, look at the word, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? And I read it, and to be honest with you, I think I would have to say, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty nice thing, isn't it? You, you take a day, you set it aside, you fast from something, fasting for something, and you're humbling yourself and you're bowing your head, you know? And the problem isn't that that's not what they're doing because what he's saying is, is you're fasting, but this is the only thing you're doing. Well, every other part of you, the way you're treating each other, is a reflection on disobeying my commands, my two greatest commands. Verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Everything that is said there is just like every other human being is made in God's image, and so are you. Have you found an excuse like I have sometimes? Ah, Gina, we're not helping Project Hope. Those homeless people, you know, they, they deserve that. You know, if they had a better responsibility, but no. Do you know God never puts in the scriptures, hey, only help the poor if you found that they were responsible and they didn't, you know. No, it's to help the hurting. It's to rise above. It really does come back to the fact that we are his hands and feet and if we want to be his children, we do the same thing. I, I don't know as I was going through my mind if I've ever known somebody who fought for an injustice that really didn't take a hit. I think about a couple people I know that have fought for abortion. I know some people that have fought for that. Some have been clubbed and put in jail and have been scorned at work and mocked. And things, it's no wonder we don't want to stand up for these things. When we think of fasting, we always think, okay, we're going to stop doing this. But that's not the whole thing. 
what are you going to start doing? That's what I'm learning from Isaiah 58. When you start fasting, I mean, what are you going to do at the beginning of your fast? What are you going to start doing? Project Hope, the things that we talk about, those people who have problems, you know, we have to be careful. We don't say they deserve it, you know. I built up what I did. I have, I paid my stuff off, you know. Because the truth of the matter is, is there's a lot of very hardworking people that don't have squat. I mean, they're hard workers. The prerequisite is sitting in my heart. It is being corrected and asking myself, Evan, is there any rebellion that needs to be corrected? So those three things open this chapter. Rebellion that's revealed, rebellion that's exposed, but rebellion that is connected then comes to three things that the chapter ends with. Number four, promised outcome. The promised outcome in verse 8. Look at the word then. Underline it, unless I did and I don't remember. It's used four times. He says, if you do all this, then your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. Matter of fact, everything that he's been talking about is you're not living righteous. Righteous is living right according to God, what he says. You're not living that way. But then you'll see your righteousness. It'll go before you, and the glory of the Lord will go behind you. Folks, don't listen to somebody who says, Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, it covers over you in your sin. God, when he sees you, he doesn't see your actions. He only sees the blood of Jesus Christ. If that's the case, then what I do or don't do doesn't matter, and that's not what I find. God calls me to live righteous. And if you do, he says, I'm going before you, Tom. I'm going behind you. I'm going to hem you in. I'm with you. Verse 9, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Now folks, for him to say those words is amazing to me because as we just studied Isaiah 6, God was looking for somebody to send and Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And now God is saying, if you fast but you take care of your rebellion and your sin, you'll find out, here am I. That's God saying exactly what Isaiah said. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of finger, malicious talk, it's somebody else. If you spend yourself on, in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Folks, four different things I pull out of this passage. We're supposed to be the light of the world because we follow the light of the world. And if we live according to the first verses that we've looked at, we're not light, we're dark. You know, then your deeds will match your words. You know, we say who we are. We say we care. Love the Lord, love your neighbor. We quote those two verses. But he says, then your righteousness will rise. Then God will hear us clearly. Then we will be God's people. I mean, have you ever wanted to help somebody? And maybe you did. But every time you helped them, they wouldn't do what they needed to do and they just kept not going back, going back, going back. And it's just like God wants to help you today. God wants to help me. He says, I want to help you. I hear what you're praying for. I see what's burdening your heart. I get it. I want to help you. So Evan and all of you here today, will you take that time to get alone? Get that sin and rebellion out of the way. Let Let him get that out of the way. Then he will clearly come and hear our prayers. God wants to answer your prayers. He said, here am I. So whenever we fulfill the prerequisite to repent, 
God promises to move, to hear, to do. Number five, promised satisfaction. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. Here's a place that looks like a dry place, you know, and it's just like, what do I do? You get into that place and, you know, you're carrying a burden for someone, something, whatever it might be, and you just you don't know what to do. And I, I love the fact that God promises to, to satisfy us. I, I can remember so distinctly fasting over a situation to have God clearly say to me, you're praying wrong. Corrected the way I was praying, I began to pray a different approach, and it was answered. I mean, he guides us. And I was like, I share that. I can share specifically what it is, but they don't have time right now. I mean, he goes on to say, you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never, never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairers of broken walls, restorers of streets with dwellings. Folks, thing about God is, is we always talk about how mighty our God is. He can do anything. But when you've experienced him, when whatever is around you seems like a dry, sun-scorched spiritual place, and nobody's getting nothing, and, and, it's just, and it's just disaster everywhere and depression everywhere, but yet you sense his presence, and you like, like, like they did in the, in the New Testament, they're in jail and they're singing hymns. Do you sing when everybody else is whining and complaining and locked up in jail? Or if you are locked up in jail? That, that's the, the, the picture here. These two words, they don't mean much to you and me, but repair or broken walls, restore. The, he says, then you will be known as people they know how to repair things. They know how to put things together. People who can mend people. You will be seen among other people as, wow, look at these folks. These are the people we want to go to. And I ask myself as Christians, what are we known as? Are we always known as something what we're against and everything that we're against? Or are we there to repair, to rebuild? Because in our country, man, we could just go right down the political line, right? We could go right down the moral line, right? We could just go right down and say how much needs to be repaired. Have we experienced this promise, this promised satisfaction? If we have, it's because we were living in the prerequisite to fasting and praying. And then lastly is the promised stipulation. If you like the word condition better, go ahead and put that in there. It's promised stipulation, verse 13. What comes on a condition or a stipulation? It starts out with the word if, because this is conditional. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day and, and the Lord's holy day honorable. You know what the word holy means, right? A day that's set apart. When you wake up on Sunday, what is in your heart and mind? A day honorable. And if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words. And here's the word then, right? Then you will find joy in the Lord and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The one commandment 
of the Ten Commandments that divides my interest, my desires, my selfish ways is the fourth one, to keep holy the Lord's day. To keep holy the Lord's day. It, it divides my heart. It, it, it divides my desire because it's going to tell me whose day is it. No labor shall be done on it. And I understand that there are some people here you have to work on. It. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those who we make those choices. We make those choices with our family. We call the Sabbath family day. And that is not accurate. I have no problem. The scripture has no problem with you spending time with your family, but not missing church and spending the day for your day. Jesus Christ died to put the church in motion. He died to create the church. It didn't exist. And he's the head and we're the body. And it's amazing to me, people that think that they can say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I'm not even going there. What do we think of every Sunday? What do we wake up and consumes us? Passage of Scripture says, Evan, keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath. Call it a delight. You know, if I want to go to work and make double time, I just hate the fact that it's Sunday. It's not a delight. It's a restriction to me. Honor the Sabbath by not doing as I please. It's like me saying to Maria, you know, uh, where do you want to go to eat? You know, I don't care. Where, where do you want to go? And of course, she's going to say, I don't care. Where do you want to go? And it's going to go back and forth because that's what love does. It thinks about the other person. The Sabbath lets me know how much I love Jesus. The first three commandments are really all wrapped up in will I honor and give him this day. The first commandment, no other gods. Well, on the Sabbath, I could set myself up as a god because I'm going to do what I want to do. That's number one. Number two, not make any images. I'm just going to be doing my thing, my set of golf clubs, my boating. And so I can worship God out on, on, the, on the lake and do what I want to do uh, on Sunday mornings. Um, and I have a boat, so I know what that's like. No idle words on my lips, you know. Uh, so this passage comes out, and here's the first, here's the third, here's the third uh, commandment. Uh, uh, I will not take the Lord's name in vain. That's not just swearing. That's just using it however I want to use it because it's, it, it's what I want to do. And that's what the Sabbath is all about. I didn't write it. I didn't put it in there. There's some things I'm definitely working on. And those things will stop God from hearing my prayers. This commandment tells me how I really feel about Jesus as Lord. Jesus as my Lord. You know, if today, anybody's birthday today, by any chance? If, today, if July 22nd happened to be your birthday, you know, and, and you liked to have a birthday, and you liked to have cake, and you liked to have a party, and you liked your kids. But today, you know, a few people saw it on Facebook. And so on Facebook, you know, it took them a lot to just check, you know, like or, have, you know, happy birthday. But nobody showed up. The family didn't come over. The kids didn't come over. Nobody bought you a gift. Nobody brought you a cake. You might be tempted to have a little bit of a pity party. And you might say, well, I'm mature, and I'm past that. But stop lying. You like a party and you like gifts. I like gifts. If you don't like gifts, give them to me. Is that what we do to Jesus on his day? Certainly his day is much more important than my one birthday a year. 
What are we doing to Jesus? And, and you see why this is an all-consuming truth. Of all the commandments, of those, you know, the first four are all towards God, and the next six are all towards man. Love your God and love your neighbor. That's how they're divided. And this one consumes the first three. This is who our God is. The prerequisite to love your Lord your God and to love your neighbor is you have three rebellions that are pointed out here, and there are three promises. Take the time to search it out. There's expectations. I have that in your notes, right? We have expectations. I have expectations that if I fast and if I pray, God's going to hear and God's going to move. The only thing I leave in my mind is, you know, there are some strongholds, as Marie and I were praying this morning, there are some strongholds, there's some demonic forces that are only released through prayer and fasting. Jesus said that. So I have my expectations. But you have to understand, as we just read today, God has his expectations. He expects before we fast and we pray that we are right with him. The asterisk in your notes. Fast, but don't be too fast to fast. Don't stumble over my clever words, right? Okay? Fast, but don't be too fast because as I've read this, there are some things that burden my heart. And as I read this, it reminds me Isaiah 58 is a prayerful prayer that I can work through and you can work through as you pray and you fast. So as I have at the bottom here, go without so God can go with you. And that is what fasting is all about. In just a minute, I'm going to play a hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. A lot of great words. I'm going to play for you in a minute. I'm going to give you the opportunity. Let me just take back those stupid words. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart today, I think it would be a good thing for you to come and prayerfully pray through this at the altar. Spend some time at the altar asking Him to reveal your heart. Then move and do as He has said. And I want to let you know that fasting it's done in a variety of different ways. Most of the time people think of food, and that is, it is food, but and as we talked at design team, several of us said, you know, when you get ready to fast and pray, a lot of times you're focused on how hungry you are. The key that this person said is, is, you know, focus on your prayers. Focus on taking that time that you would be eating to what it is you should be praying for, okay? Somebody else said that they, didn't, they don't do food because they fast a lot for what they do. They're always fasting food and this, that, the other. So this person loves shopping and fasted from shopping for one full year. And they were praying and the Lord answered that prayer. That's what they love to do. That really is the key to fasting. Maybe it's electronics, maybe it's media, whatever it is. You know, my wife is a coffee snob. I say that lovingly. She grinds her own beans. She loves coffee. And, and she fasted coffee. I don't remember for how long. And the Lord heard that fast. She was hard to live with. <laughs> just teasing, just teasing. So as I want to do nothing but encourage you today, I'm going to, 
ask them to we'll kill the front lights here, maybe one set of the lights if you want to, too. We're going to play this song very quietly. What a friend we have in Jesus. The altar is open. But could I just leave you with one other thing? And that one other thing is, is the three songs that are in your program are three songs that are great to prepare you before a fast. Go ahead. as you prepare our hearts today to challenge us with those two commands. I always seem to be challenged to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And 
How many breaks do we give ourselves so very often? And how many times will we just say, oh, well, that was a do-over, and you give us so many, Father. Today, maybe you've spoken to us about why our prayer hasn't been answered. And I know, Father, and I want people to know that the possibility is, is it's not according to your will, but if we have fasted and if we have prayed, but if at first we have searched our heart and cleared it of any sin or rebellion, then we know that you will answer or we will know that it's not according to your will and we won't have to wonder. You are a great God whom we worship and serve and so thank you for the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bill is going to come and give you a couple announcements this morning. Thank you, William. Good morning, everyone. I, I do have a few announcements this morning, but before I do that, if you are a visitor with us, I hope you had uh, an opportunity to get uh, one of our mugs here on the way in. If you did not, we'd be glad to give you one on your way out. It has a little bit of information about our church, and uh, it's a good coffee cup besides that. Uh, while, uh, before I get started on the announcements, the ushers are going to come down with a, a little booklet that we call a friendship pad, and we'd ask you all to fill that out. That's for everybody, uh, members and visitors alike. Helps us do uh, some work in the office and some ministry, and we would appreciate that. Uh, also, uh, just to point out, in your program is a master uh, schedule for the two-month look ahead, and it would have all the different activities going on, since I'm just going to highlight a couple uh, for you this morning. And the first one uh, I'd like to mention, on August 5th, we're going to be joining our sister church, Lifehouse Church in Leroy, for a time of prayer, and that will be held uh, at 6 o'clock in the evening. We uh, have a number of things we want to pray for. One of them is to grow our churches, of course. Uh, we also want to pray for uh, those going back to school in the very short weeks ahead, especially our college students. Uh, we also want to pray for the transition of leadership in our denomination, uh, you probably have had a chance to uh, meet Dr. Uh, Tom Hermes over the time frame. He is uh, going to be retiring in the near future, and so there will be some new leadership in place. So we want to pray for that uh, to happen in a good way. We certainly want to pray for our country and uh, 